welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, I have a very personal conversation with Kim from Calling In Christians about her abortion experience. This is definitely a heavy episode, so there are resources below if you need some support or you are looking to learn more about the things that were discussed in today's episode. We talk about personal experiences, the Texas law, the heartbeat law that came out, gestational age, the conservative argument against abortion, and just a range of other things. Uh, This was a very uh, difficult episode for me to edit and to put out, but with everything going on in the world and America right now, I thought that there was no better time than now for this story, so tune in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, uh-huh. okay, okay, cool. How do you feel today? I feel good. I'm a little nervous. I've never, like... Yeah, talk to me. Yeah, I've never... I'm a very open person, and I've definitely given away snippets of my story here and there on my own, like, platforms and stuff, but I've never, you know, been on a podcast, so thank you for this opportunity. I think it's really important, and... yeah. I'm not that nervous though. Like I, I'm pretty. I'm an open book, so <laughs> for sure. Um, I mean, I'd love to know a little bit about you. Like, are you religious or spiritual? Just so I know, like my language to kind of. I'm conservative background. I don't know. Have you listened to any of the podcast episodes? Yeah, Just... I listened to a couple, and it sounded like you might have come from an evangelical space, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was non-denominational. And yeah, so I was Christian and I guess I was in a very like religious relationship that I think propelled a lot of my like negative views towards Christianity because they were very fundamentalist. And so I had a hard time with that and then left and now I'm not religious at all and very happily not religious. (laughs) But like my language background is like I went to school in Christianity since I was a speaking child and so like you could quote bible verses at me and we can have like that level of dialogue and i'm super into having that level of dialogue um i just don't believe it personally awesome yeah totally don't worry i'm not gonna whip out any bible verses at you (laughs) (laughs) i did i wrote some down from my notes oh good (laughs) yeah i mean i'm i'm here for this talk this is what we're doing yeah so i'm i'm down to have all of that discourse because i know i think being who I am, my family's still very religious. So like half of my world of who I know socially is religious and half is like very extreme liberal because I'm extreme liberal. Mm. So I kind of hold both spaces and I try to talk to both people, I hope. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm 
kind of in the camp of progressive Christianity, so I get a little bit of mix of both worlds. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't truly know too much about progressive Christianity. What is the progressive viewpoint on abortion? Well, it differs. Progressive Christianity is super diverse, but ultimately, like, they are a form of Christianity that ultimately, like, advocate for social justice in all aspects. Mm -hmm. And so part of that, many people see abortion to be obviously a part of that. I'm kind of undertake a reproductive justice framework. I think it's really holistic and beautiful. And yeah, so I can't speak to all of progressive Christianity. Of course. But but I think you can speak to it more than I know. And if I don't know anything about it, I promise (laughs) you that so many listeners have never maybe even heard that term, you know? Yeah. So people think it's new. Progressive Christianity really is just about um, taking biblical scripture I don't actually work with scripture as much as other people. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to lead a parish or anything, but they use tactics like feminist hermeneutics and other things to really look at the context of the Bible and to liberate it in some aspects Mm -hmm. and to apply it to our modern day world in a way where they believe that um, the divine is present with people and there's so much judgment and boundaries and just injustice and oppression going on in the world right now at the hands of conservative Christians, yep. especially in the United States. And progressive Christianity is really a resistance towards that. They kind of reject that notion of Jesus of faith and they say that's not what we stand for. That's not how we view Christianity. And we're here to promote justice in all forms, mm-hmm. which is beautiful so why do conservative christians not support justice right so they usually call this an unbiblical view Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so it really gets down to kind of your biblical scholarship tell me more (laughs) it's a really uh you know so there's a lot of conservatives who who are biblically biblical literalists fundamentalists yeah and also like they take the bible literally so when it says like do not murder they say that's what it says Mm -hmm. now they don't actually take the bible like 100 percent literally because you can't there's so much metaphor imbued in the bible there's so much poetry like it's not a text to be taken literally historically there's a lot of error you know um yeah and if you sin gouge out your eyes Yes, right, but that's not something they recognize, Yeah, you know? They do recognize the verse where they say women shouldn't teach or preach, though, so Mm. it's kind of... I don't want to hate on conservatives too much. I think a lot of them are very conditioned by their churches and indoctrinated, and I have a lot of compassion for that because, you know, I grew up Catholic, and I was definitely a little zealot when I was younger. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's important, though, because... You say, I don't want to speak hate against conservatives, but I would say that we're doing nothing of the sorts. What we're speaking about right now is justice for human rights. So if somehow you feel like your organization is being hated upon when you talk about justice for human rights, I have ask you to evaluate why. Yes, that's very fair. Yeah, I don't think conservatives are being targeted in any manner i think they deserve yes. what we speak about yes <laughs> yeah i just try to hold a little bit of compassion for 
the kind of unconscious um, way many of these people are brought up. Yes, of course. There's... Which doesn't excuse their behavior, but yeah. Right, right, right. Of course. Like, being raised in an environment that is going to reflect all the same values to you, it's understandable how you could be in that space. And so we hold compassion for that, but we equally won't allow their... Yeah, you know what <laughs> I mean? So yeah. it's like, speak with the conviction and the truth that truly the views of what they're trying to enforce is inherently against human rights. And I want that level of, you know, dialogue here because that really is what is happening. And I... It's not hate in any way to talk about human rights. Yeah, so 100%. I won't, yeah. <sighs> yeah. And I mean, I guess I can jump into my story a little yes, bit. So I grew up catholic and it was just you know i so i kind of had this vision for my life i wanted to be a virgin for my whole life I feel that. um i didn't think i would date anyone i, I was very like in it right mm-hmm. but to me this was actually a very liberating thing when i was younger because i was surrounded by a lot of women that i saw losing themselves in relationships with men Mm. and so for me I was like I'm gonna be a virgin I don't want to lose myself I'm like gonna do my own thing I found a lot of freedom within that but then as I grew older I saw how much my idea of virginity clashed with what the church's idea of virginity was which is like women are supposed to be virgins and mothers and that's it and that's womanhood and right so it's I was finding my own kind of liberative aspect of actually a very harmful and oppressive doctrine. And as I went on, it just, I fell in love with a man and I was like, you know what? Like this is, I've started to realize more that like, this wasn't against God. I'm not like going to be punished. It's going to be okay. And I started to undo some of these things in my theologies based on my experience. Are you talking about having sex? I'm just talking about dating, but then sex for sure. So I waited a year to have sex with my then boyfriend. And once I did, I still, I had so much shame surrounding it, but it didn't feel inherently wrong. I was like, wow, this is actually like, I was having a huge clash within myself surrounding that. So in spiritual care, we talk about embedded theologies versus intentional theologies. And our embedded theologies are kind of the ones that stay in our body that we're usually grow up with that's indoctrinated in our church spaces and then our intentional theologies are kind of the ones we actually intellectually believe and sometimes they don't match and so my embedded theology was very much like god is a punishing god if i do good i'll be rewarded if i do bad i won't be but it's not actually what i believed but it was definitely inherent within me so Pretty much, like, after the first few times of having sex, I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) And, like, immediately my mind goes, I'm being punished. I should have never done this, right? Mm. And it was horrible. I Well, one, I was in a horrible mental space even before my pregnancy. I was dealing with huge bouts of depression Mm. and suicidal ideation. My pregnancy itself was pretty horrible. I was puking every single day. I was like so dehydrated there are days I just crawled to the bathroom Mm. to like put my face on cold tile I was fainting a lot I just I didn't feel like I was going to make it through this pregnancy without like yeah how far Um, along were you so I had my first abortion at 10 weeks so and I knew 
thought I was pregnant probably about at six weeks. Okay. I'm sure you're going to talk about it. I want to know what was going through your head between those four weeks, between six to ten. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was just so distraught. I um, really had no idea what to do. I was in such a moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'd always been told, you know, like a baby is the best thing in life. We have the doctrine on the sanctity of life. And it was just like life is supposed to be upheld in all its ways. And I did not feel like what was inside of me was like good or healthy for me. I did not feel like it was not a gift, Mm -hmm. right? You're told like pregnancy is the best gift that can come. And it just wasn't. (laughs) I was just tore up, right? And... I I made the appointment for the abortion. I canceled it. I made it again. Mm. I was just like really going through it. And I wanted to do what was right for me. But I definitely like was in a relationship that I didn't feel was supportive at the time. Um, I was definitely codependent. I I went to my pastor at the time. So I was going to a non-denominational church in college. And I went to my pastor's wife actually. And like I told her, and she's one of the only people I told, and I was just, like, really looking for solace and advice and compassion, and she was definitely compassionate, but after meeting with her, she called me back, and she was like, hey, I didn't know how to tell you this, but, like, my husband had a dream last night, and God, like, he believes God is telling us to adopt your child, (laughs) and it was just like, oh, God. yeah it just it takes away all of my agency like yes yes because now you should follow god's will which has been spoken to a pastor who has supposedly a closer connection to god exactly so now it's like no matter what i do like i don't choose adoption like i'm going against god's very will yes which like what a thing to do to a person (laughs) yeah wow and i have to trust that this male pastor's interpretation of his dream is actually God. And I was also, like, deeply (laughs) addicted to, like, tobacco and weed at the time. And I smoked, Mm -hmm. like, 20 mochs a day. It was just – I was in a horrible place in my life. And so I just was – I just sat with all of this, and it was just awful. And I was like, you know what? I cannot do this. I don't think I'm going to live. I psychologically will not live. And – I went through with the abortion, but I held so much religious shame surrounding it. Mm. On the Catholicism side, I stopped taking communion for like a year because you're not supposed to. You're technically like automatically excommunicated if you have an abortion in the Catholic Church, Mm. um, which is a very horrible doctrine in itself. And Yeah. yeah, so I was like punishing myself because of this like trying to gain the favor of a God that I didn't really believe in. Mm -hmm. And I went to confession about a year later. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I actually didn't go to confession. I went to talk to a priest that I trusted about it. Mm -hmm. And it was about an hour long. And he was very paternalistic. He talked almost the entire time. I didn't tell him anything about my experience. But he knew exactly what I needed. And that was confession right there on the spot. (laughs) Mm. Right. So it really, my healing wasn't in my own hands and my experience was never heard. It was never understood and it was never honored. I think the best thing that someone told me 
I told another friend and she said, you know what? God understands you. Mm-hmm. And that was the only thing that felt like truth in that time. And I'm someone who feels the divine a lot when I'm writing and reading. And so after my abortion, my senior year of undergrad, I dived into a thesis. I called it a feminist and a religious intervention, transforming the mm-hmm. abortion debate into a dialogue on life. And mm. I read everything there is to read in Catholicism about abortion, (laughs) which was damaging in itself. But also, like, I just realized how much my experience did not align with these celibate men's ideas of abortion Mm -hmm. and women's experiences. Um, So, you know, deconstruction is kind of a trendy word, but that's a little bit about what I was going through um, at the time. Mm And it was really traumatic. I was, you know, a lot of people referred to trauma. Who was it? I think Serene Jones refers to trauma as a rupturing of the self. And, like, mm-hmm. it's really what was going on. It was just, like, realizing who I was and finding self-compassion from mm-hmm. a person who just really hated themselves. Right. Yeah. There is a lot to talk about. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I've I, been I'm going like, on. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think it's it's beautiful to provide space for people to tell their narratives in whole. And, you know, like you have your story and I want to hold that. And now I'm like, I want to talk about all the pieces in it too. So I don't even know where to start other than saying thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. Honestly, this is really, I think everyone who tells their abortion narrative, it's an act of resistance. And so yeah, I do appreciate the space so much. Exactly. Which is probably also the best time to tell you that I've also had an abortion. And so I want to share this space with you. And I don't want it to be this interview of like all of your you know, experience putting you on the hot seat. Like I want to open it up to be a dialogue between both of us as two women that have had abortions and equally have different experiences with it and you're a spiritual person I'm not and like what a beautiful dialogue we're both feminists we could have about this you know (laughs) so just like I I think it's important to tell you that just to change the space not to take away from your claiming of the space but I, I would love to share it with you no please I'm that's so exciting I'm like every time I meet a post-abortive person I'm like my love just yeah. like grows a little bigger yeah and I yeah please it'd be so easy for me to sit behind like the host role and just like ask you a ton of questions and block out all of my own emotions from this experience because I have them as well and I think a lot of mine is tied to the reality that like I'm very public with this with everyone in my life except for my family because they are religious. Mm. I I hope to in the spirit of this podcast and what I've created in these episodes I hope to be as vulnerable because I ask everyone else to do it and so like I'm already over here like okay if I cry that's gonna be fine like I think there's like this pressure as the host that I have to be put together and I like really don't want to do that today and I want to share it with you please so and that's so I know (laughs) you know like you deserve that too thank you but like it's 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 a a role as a podcast hoster that I feel like I'm supposed to guide so I'm like oh be put together lead the combos So, like, if there was ever a time I wanted to drop that today. So, yeah. Please. Let's go on this. We call it a co-creative process in spiritual care. Yeah. Every time I meet with someone here, like, I don't want it to just be what I think. Like, there's a shared collaborative process to this that, like, makes it beautiful, I think, more so than, like, an interview 
you see on YouTube or something. Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm like getting so excited right now. <laughs> I know. Let me see that. Time. I was like this whole time I was all I was all excited about this. I was like calling my friends. I was like, we're doing it. I'm going to tell her we're going to record this. Like we're going. Hell yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's exciting. I, it, I think it's a very powerful thing because I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about it. And I guess technically myself included. Right. Like I haven't told my mom. I haven't told my family. Yeah, I definitely haven't told members of my family, too, as well. And, you know, part of it, fear may be a part of it, but I think a part of it, too, is that the narrative in the U.S. right now is so toxic, and there's so Mm -hmm. much stigma, and there's so much hate towards post-abortive people that, you know, half of it is just safety and, you know, (laughs) meeting your boundaries. For sure. I guess it's just so hard to hold a value that you know to be truth personally for yourself and then to know that if I were to speak my truth to someone else they would make they would not see it and so like I hold and I don't tell them because I know they won't understand not because I have shame for what I did but if you haven't told your family it's like yeah that safety piece and the the blindness that they won't understand and like it's weird to hold their shame for them Mm. and I think that at least someone who's also gay, like, that was one of the things that I was like, why am I afraid to tell my mom I'm gay? Like, I have no shame in this at all. To which, okay, so then I started telling her and my family and everybody, right? And so it's like, I don't know, I guess I just wonder, like, it is safety, but also we're holding shame for them. And I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. And I think that's really valid. I, um... I guess I've never thought of it that way. Well, because we know it's truth, right? Yes, 100%. Like, exactly. Like, I know that me getting an abortion was what I needed. And if you ask me if I regret it at all, I would say not in the slightest. Like, not in the slightest at all do I regret getting an abortion. But I haven't told my mom. Mm -hmm. So how could we hold both of those? Like, yes, safety, but also in doing so we hold their shame internally to know that I can't speak about myself and my life freely yeah definitely I think for me too it's like I don't regret mine at all there was so much religious shame in them but not once did I regret what I did and I think I fear talking about it with other people because I know that it my my I believe abortions are revelatory and our experiences of them and our meaning making are like quite literally like we have so much truth and knowledge to offer the world through our experience Mm -hmm. and like I know that that's not going to be honored by some people yeah and so sometimes I just don't have the energy to do it I feel that (laughs) yeah I know I feel that too that's I that's that's why I haven't I don't even know how I'm going to share this like I've been thinking about that too like are you going to share this with your mom if you're or whoever you know in your family doesn't know like what do you do and it's like uh do I have the energy to speak my truth I don't know yeah and I think at this point in my life I'm fine with like so I told my mom like two years after it happened Mm -hmm. (laughs) it took a while but like my dad still doesn't know I don't talk about it openly with like some of my siblings and like brothers you know I think they know though because they've seen my social media (laughs) for sure yeah well yes (laughs) you put it everywhere yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which is really cool it's actually funny but not funny for me because 
So my best friend's name is Stephanie and my sister's name is Stephanie. So when we were scheduling about you and putting like you on the podcast, I was texting Stephanie. Turns out I was texting my sister and I started talking about how I've had an abortion. She was like, I didn't know this. And I was like, Stephanie, you, I talked to you when I got it. And she's like, I didn't know this. It was my sister the whole time. So I actually <laughs> outed myself in the most like unpredictable way. And I was like, oh, well, I guess now my sister knows. So there's that. And like, yeah, I, I feel this of like not telling your siblings because of the same feeling of like, you don't know if they'll see the same truth. Yeah. And I think it definitely took me time to be really firm in my truth. That now I think I'd have less problem because I'm not going to accept that, you know, like I just don't accept for sure other people having more knowledge about my own experiences. Amen to that. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That takes a strength to trust yourself to be able to navigate the world alone if those people turn away from you because of what you say. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes so much self-compassion and self-worth and... You know, chosen family is a wonderful thing in the world. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Yeah. I would love to hear more of your story. Like, what do you feel like? I don't know. Like, you seem so nervous, so I don't want to push you. But Push me, please. Okay. It's okay. So here's the thing. All my life, I'm outspoken about all the things that I believe in, except for my family's so religious and there's certainly a level of blindness that despite what logical, sound, valid arguments even I present in this space, I know that it will not be heard. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like any – and I think the most people who would be listening to this podcast are liberals that are my – you know, that have similar views to what I have. So those people probably aren't even listening. So I think my nervousness comes from the the reality that like despite the best argument I could put in this situation, I know that my family still won't accept it. Mm. Do you think they'll accept you? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's a very scary place to be. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, okay, so I have to let go of the host role and be the person talking. Yeah. My mom for so long has always been like, I, I, if you were to get an abortion, I'd be so angry. That is my grandchild. You will never do that. Blah, 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 blah. And that was said to me in multiple conversations when I was like 16, 17, before I got pregnant and had the abortion. So I know those views are there, you know, like I, I, and I, I used, but granted, I used to say, she used to say the same thing about gay people as well that gay people are disgusting and blah, 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 blah. And now she's learning to accept those parts of me. So like, I do have some hope that she will learn. I just know that just as equally as me coming out and that being a painful experience of having to enact boundaries and tell my mother that I won't accept her talking shit about my value system, I'll have to enact those boundaries again. And I'm tired Mm -hmm. of doing that. Yeah, it's emotionally exhausting. Yes. Yeah. Can I ask when you had your abortion? Yeah, I had it in 2000 and 2017. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Awesome. I don't know if I could put that in the podcast because I think that my out who I had it with, which like I don't want it. Like, do they have a right to secrecy? Like whoever the partner is? No. Okay. <laughs> well, then no, I had my I had my abortion right after 
I graduated from I mean it's up to you it's up to you I don't know like I don't know you know what I mean like it's my body my Mm -hmm. story so like and I think part of the reality is that I had my abortion right when I graduated from college Mm. so like and that's an important piece to understanding where I was at in my life so yeah I'm you know what I mean like I'm gonna out that information for sure yeah yeah it was crazy it's a crazy time. I had just graduated. I at the time I had maybe been like half a, a year away out of Christianity at the time, like slowly stripping um, from those belief systems. And then I moved to a new city and I was by myself and I found out I was pregnant. And so I called my best friend Steph. <laughs> Our mutual connection. And I was just, yeah. I was just like <laughs> the test says positive i don't know i don't know what to do and i just sobbed uncontrollably oh me too oh, yeah it's heavy it's so heavy i can't believe you were like by yourself too in a nude place yeah it was it was actually that's so isolating <laughs> yeah it was it actually was like wow the most isolating thing in the world because i was in a completely different state like i had not made any friends because i just moved like whoa like that's why I called Steph like that's all I had and she was what in California at the time like and I was in Indiana like miles away from anyone who could give me a hug and like say like I see you I hear you and this is heavy yeah damn yeah I mean it was it was horrible (laughs) like there's no way around how like how isolated I felt because I didn't know who to turn to. What are the next steps? Like, oh my God, like I had no idea. And I think it was, I called the person I was with at the time to tell them. And luckily they were very supportive. And I have so much thankfulness for like the space that that partner at the time provided me to be able to make my own decision and support me either way. Did a great job. And that was really all I had to get through that time. And so they helped a lot. But I think I just made an appointment at a clinic, like, immediately next day. Yeah. Just started taking action. I was like, I need to figure out more. I need to know where I'm at. I need to know what I'm doing. Like, I need to know so much more. Because, like, you get that test and that de- that you don't know how far you've been. Like, that's, that's terrifying. Yeah, you're just like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, no. And it's just, like, it opens up this Pandora's box of questions of, like, yeah, and you start questioning yourself, too. It's not like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But I think that's something that I think a lot of post-abortive people can, like, relate to is that experience of isolation. Oh, my and God, And kind of like, yeah. who can I talk to about oh, this? yes. And how do I go through this? And if I do go through this, does it have to be alone? Yeah. And that's why, like, I always preach, like, the art of accompaniment. I think – the number one thing people want in this world is accompaniment. And if we can do that by like really being with people where they are mm-hmm. and helping them through that and not in like a, I'm going to heal you type of way, but like, I'm going to be here right. for what you're going through. Like, exactly. I think that like, that is what post-abortive people need. That's what people sure. seeking abortions need. Like we need that art of accompaniment and the culture has cut that off from us. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to call our friends cities away being like, you're the only person I can talk to about this. Yeah, <laughs> Fuck. exactly. Exactly. Luckily, the people that I went to was not a conservative clinic. 
Like I was very like, you know what I mean? Like I feel like that's the biggest thing is avoiding a clinic that's going to provide you just one solution when you're confronted mm-hmm. with this because that makes it even harder because there's this level of manipulation that occurs at those clinics. Yes, we do not recommend crisis pregnancy centers. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to give you a holistic view of what your options are with actual sound medical advice. Yeah, you do not want to be manipulated while you're navigating a very hard situation that you're trying to figure out. It's incredibly difficult. You don't know what you're going to do. Your tra- I mean, trauma is occurring in your space. Like, I was extremely dissociative. I couldn't stay... T- present in the moment and like yeah and then now you have someone coming in telling you you need to keep it you need to keep it it's just like wow like it's already so hard enough just to listen to yourself and what you want to do in that moment with all this change and trauma and everything coming up that like no we don't need people telling you what you need to do with your body (sighs) yes exactly everyone thinks they have the answer for your situation and they don't you are the only person who has that answer (laughs) exactly exactly I think one of the biggest things too that was transformative about my experience was I didn't know that there was an abortion pill okay well I didn't know until I got pregnant I guess is what I'm saying by the time I had the abortion I had the abortion pill but like prior to that experience like existing in the world I just didn't even know that was a thing yeah I think people still don't know that that's a thing I bet so, yeah. Like, they kind of get that um, propaganda of yes. how, <laughs> you know. Yes, that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about it. I think because I – Yeah, please. The medical abortion pill is not talked about within the conservative movement. Interesting. Okay. So that's probably where a lot of their confusion comes when they don't realize that people who miscarry are going to also be criminalized Mm -hmm. when abortion is legal or if abortion becomes legal. Right. Exactly. Interesting. A lot of abortions occur. I mean, sorry, a lot of miscarriages occur up to 10 weeks, then that's pretty common. Yeah. I think it's like one in, I'm not going to say actually, because I'm not, I don't know it off the top of my head perfectly. But, but. Many. Yeah, it's common. Well, we're going to have a little bit of medical dialogue, or at least I'd like to have for anyone who maybe has never heard of the abortion pill. Please. Yeah. I had that. I used the abortion pill my first abortion. Great. So now we can talk about this experience. Also, I'm not a professional doctor either. This is just my personal knowledge, and I will have resources for people who want to learn more about what it is. But from my understanding is you take this pill, which essentially causes you to shed your uterine lining. Yes. There's two pills. Yeah. Though. The first – I don't remember the names off the top of my head. You take the first one and then the second one I think is the one that causes the shed, right? Mm-hmm. I think one causes like dilation or something. Mm, that makes sense. I'm not I'm not gonna speak to it. I'm not a medical doctor, but I took them and it was wonderful. Well, so yeah, exactly. That's the thing, is like we've taken them, so I think we have the right to talk about our personal experience with them, not claim that we are mm-hmm. medical doctors. Yes. But yeah, so you at least with my personal experience, I took one pill at the clinic and then I think it was like twelve hours later at home I took the pill, or maybe twenty four, or something like that. And then you just bleed for a couple of days. Most of it was one day. There was some cramps and they gave you medication. But it was actually, at least from my personal experience, very easy. 
Yeah, I would say it was easier than I thought it would be. Mine was definitely painful, but they did give me pain medication, which helped a little. But it wasn't like the most pain ever, right? It was like probably like the worst period. Yes, exactly. And that was it. And I slept a lot, like all day. So it wasn't a huge issue. Which is never talked about. And like, I'm so Mm -hmm. excited to be having this conversation right now that like, yeah, that it hurt, but at the same level of hurt maybe that you experience every month. Yeah. Like, let's just normalize the reality that the abortion pill has made this much easier. And talk about that. Like, that's huge. Yeah. Like, maybe that would take away half of the terror when you see that positive, you know? Like, just, just know, oh, 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 there's a pill I can take up to 11 weeks and still have this at home. And it's going to be painful, but it's going to be okay. And I'll be in the safety of my own home with whoever I want there to be there for me. It doesn't have to be what the radical other sides try to say of like suction, all of these scary mm-hmm. turns that they try to say, ripping a head out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, ugh, yeah, I can't stand the the narrative. Yeah. And I think, I think both options are really, it's really up to you. And I, I think one of... Um, the pros of the pill is that yeah you get to be in your own place like you get to have your own blankets you get to you know watch your tv or do you know find your own comforts and what you need and like have the people around you who you want and I think that's such a beautiful thing that some people I think would really value yeah I like played game you know I played n64 like all day when I wasn't sleeping and it was so great and I just stayed in bed it was yeah it was a great day yeah (laughs) (laughs) how many times have people heard that yeah it was a great day when i got my abortion i mean but that's a narrative that's a powerful narrative that i think needs to be out there Mm -hmm. can i ask um how many weeks you were when you had your abortion yes so i was i believe we would say five weeks six weeks so also important thing i wanted to talk about on today's episode is gestational age and what that means because I frequently get confused and so I know other people must be confused and so uh gestational age what we refer to describe where you're at right to answer even this question of oh five to six weeks or like when we think about things like the Texas bill that just came out that says that banned abortion at six weeks so let's talk about six weeks of what So that six weeks is the gestational age, which starts at the last day of your last full period. Scientifically, that's how we describe it, to which you are technically not pregnant at that time. But because we don't necessarily have the date of the conception, we use this framework to conceptualize how far a person is. So at weeks four to five, that's when the embryo will actually implant into the uterus. So that's when you start making the hormones to even test positive, right? Weeks four, five. So now we're talking about the size of a lentil at week five, six. Size of a lentil. And this is about probably the time you're realizing you might have a missed period. Yep. This is like you're the first moment you're like, okay, maybe I should figure this yes. out. And that would be the person who literally has tracked their period so closely to know that you're a few days off because this would be week five. You're a few days off 
And then you have to say, oh, I'm going to get a pregnancy test, find out you're pregnant, and then you better schedule that abortion before the six-week point because now that's where they cut it off. All in one week, you'd have to do that. Yeah, it's it's completely horrible and not real and not accessible. And, you know, people who have irregular periods, people who do not have abortion clinics in their, like, near them in their city, people who cannot afford to take a day off work in order to get an abortion, people who do not have access to that health care. There is so many barriers, economic, racial, like, it is, that is a bill that will not benefit anyone. And it will cause so much harm. It will cause so much harm. And it's insane to me because abortion rates have been going down. Like 2017, we had some of the lowest abortion rates in our country. And I would say that's probably because there's better access to birth control. Let's spend all of this energy that we're spending to block abortion in creating better systems to prevent pregnancy. I don't think most people who have an abortion do it because that was their form of birth control. Like, no one wants to have to go through that experience intentionally. Yeah, especially not as, like, a frequent no. birth control. No! <laughs> I think it's just propaganda, yeah. Have you seen the documentary um, Defending Roe? I have. Oh my god, you should watch it. Like, highly recommend you watch this. It talks about how abortion has been radicalized by the Republican Party to draw in voters from the conservative arena of life um, by radicalizing that as the biblical correlation. It connects all those people to want to go Republican because it believes they believe that's the party that will uphold that value. But when you look at that historically of how that started – there were some big players with money and power that influenced the political leaders at the time. So you watch people who are conservative Republicans saying, oh, I'm against abortion. But like years prior to getting funding, they were like, no, I'm pro-choice. And they have doc- like literal footage of them flipping. Yes. So in 1960s, are you talking about like Jerry Falwell? Yes. And- yes. 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 Yeah, and a huge part of it was actually to advocate for segregation. Doesn't shock me. Yeah, and so they thought, you know, what what's something that we can get a lot of people on board so we can get funding so we can keep up our ac- advocacy against segregation. And they chose abortion. And before 1960s, the evangelicals had a stance that they were not against abortion because they did not believe that conception occurred like at the very beginning. The first people to give legal abortions in the united states were catholic priests really yeah i actually did not know oh yeah i have to look that up yeah it was in the documentary and that made my jaw drop and take a very close microscope to like what how did we get here that's typically what I say to people who are conservative. I'm like, have you looked at the history and like read about exactly what we're talking about, Jerry Falwell, all these bigger parties? And like that narrative is not talked about for good reason, because if you do, you'd see the absurdity of it. Yeah. And I just learned in an interview I was watching with Jane Elliott, she talks about um, Ben Wattenberg, who wrote, who is an advisor to multiple presidents. He's like a demographer. I think is what you call it. And he um, 
wrote a book in 1987 called The Birth Dearth, which is about how kind of his fears about the declining white population. And pretty much he thinks it's going to reduce military power and allow communists to gain control. Like all of this, a lot of fear-based things um, and racist things. And then he says there's three solutions that we could go about for fixing the birth dearth. The first is provide funding and support for people going through pregnancies and parents and children like they do in European countries. The second would be to increase immigration. He says that's not going to work because most of the immigrants won't be white Europeans. You know, they're going to be people of color. So that's not going to help our problem. And then his third thing is 60% of people getting abortions are white women. So we should ban abortion because that's going to solve our birth dearth because then white women will be forced to have pregnancies and the white population will continue. And you're just like, this is all, it's, the implications of banning abortion are so tied to racial injustice yes. um, and white supremacy. And I just, yeah, I think that a lot of people don't understand that. And it's horrifying. And that's why the reproductive justice movement is so important. It was created by black women right. and grounded in their experience. And it's really a holistic vision. It's not just about having access to abortion. It's also about creating communities where people can raise children safely and sustainably. And it's not happening. Yeah. So that was a horrifying thing to learn. And was, yeah. All of this is horrifying to me. All of this is horrifying. And like... I don't want to be dramatic, and I don't know. This isn't dramatic, right? Okay, so Texas doing this bill. What I see long term, right, is more conservative states having a populace of people that stay there because they keep the same views, and the people who need to leave, leave, because these views are so stringent there. So then we come into this very separated society of all the conservatives grouping together, creating groupthink, and a community that really reflects the same problematic views, and everyone else leaving, and then damn, this is how we get to, like, Margaret Atwood's, like, The Handmaid's Tale. This is how we get to another civil war. Like, you just keep segregating people and they're becoming stronger by, like, finding these, like, and you see it in cities versus conservative areas of, like, these amalgamations of people of specific views living in the same space and living far apart from other perspectives. Mm -hmm. It's scary. It's super scary. And I think that's why you sharing your story and people who share their stories is so powerful because it really is an act of resistance. You're like, look, post-abortive people are silenced. Yes. Our stories are not honored. And like, you know, we have to say, no, listen to me. Right. <laughs> and and do it compassionately, please. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, badass to both of us right i mean i'm you have been doing this work already of being out about it so i think some of you know your strength of that will be able to help me find the strength as well because i think i'm very nervous to do this not to talk i like i could have had this talk about abortion and not talked about myself like and i would have been fine like i would have posted this episode with confidence if everyone had been like here it is but i think there's something different about like me having to like share my own personal story in it yeah and i think you're honoring yourself too you know <laughs> really though you're like i why would i stay yeah. silent in this 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's that's the thing. So I was talking about it in therapy. I was right. I was like, why would I stay silent? I don't believe these views. Like, I need to speak because it's what I believe in. But then the other half of me is like, I don't know if I have the energy. But then I was like, this is the podcast I created to do these sorts of things. And I'd be dishonoring the values that I hold to not have this space as well. So but I was nervous all morning. <laughs> I was nervous all morning. I was texting my friends like, I'm nervous. I don't know how this is going to go. We're just going to roll with it. So like, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird to be in this space right now. Yeah, it is weird. I'm, don't worry. I was nervous too. And I talk about my abortion. I think each time I talk about it, I find new snippets of meaning. There's a new co-creative process going on. Right. And I just, I'm thankful. So thankful for you for opening up being vulnerable and I think it it's really been impactful and important for me thank you Mm -hmm. I don't know I feel like you have more to say like is there something I don't know like is there something that you (laughs) feel like (sighs) from your experience has been something that you kind of like want to shout into the void or whatever (laughs) I really like that you're taking over (laughs) as the host this is fun like now do I ask her about her experience uh we have space for both of us so let's create space for both um is there anything I want to shout into the void yeah I mean I think there's so much I could talk about of how painful it was to make the decision especially coming from my old Christian views and like that being a moment at which I had to make a decision about some ethical considerations that I had never actually had to internalize as something I had to make. And by that, I mean, like, I thought about abortion all the time because I was in philosophy classes and I'm always, like, very curious about the ethics behind things. And so I thought about it, but, like, oh, like, it it becomes a whole different thing when it's your life and the decision that you need to make will affect your life. And I cannot conceptualize what that difference is in words, but it is powerful And so, yeah, I get furious when males who have never had the lived experience of living in a woman's body try to control women's bodies because you will never understand the personalization of the decisions that you're making. Yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I I completely had that experience as well. Like coming from someone like I always thought, if well, if I get pregnant, like obviously I'm going to have the baby because – babies are a gift right and then you have you have your experience and like you have to wrestle with the idea that your experience does not match what you were taught to believe your entire life and now like I don't even so I had a second abortion and it wasn't even a moral decision right I didn't to me I realized like there's no morality and like you're not a bad person if you have an abortion good people all the time have Mm -hmm. abortions and that needs to be normalized and spoken out like it's not it really has nothing to do with the morality of a person and has so much to do with so many other factors um but I think that's really like we're put into that place and immediately we go like is this moral? Like, what is the ethical decision that I'm supposed to Mm. take? You know? It is a moral question, though, like, for sure. I mean, it it depends on what you believe. Well, okay, like, first, I think, like, most of life, you make moral decisions anyways that we probably don't acknowledge our moral decisions and the concepts of, like, oh, should I be mean to this person or not, right? Of, like, when you feel angry. I'd say that's a moral decision, you know? So, like, I... 
Okay. Yeah, like enough. I would yeah. say that like not to claim, I guess, because you said it wasn't a moral decision for you, but like I think that it is in the sense that like you must have created a ideological structure that didn't see it as a morally problematic thing. Fair. Right? Does that make yes. sense? Yes, that makes sense. Because like I would love to hear what that structure is too for you of like how you conceptualize this because like ultimately you have you do have to make decisions like when you're pregnant of what you decide that is like you have to make a decision if if you think that's life or if you think it's cells with the propensity towards totally. life you know and like that's a moral decision that you have to I I would say is inextricable from the experience of being pregnant and thinking about whether you want to have an abortion totally I suppose I already had that figured out. So for me, the abortion wasn't a part of that. It wasn't a part of my moral. The moral decision was whether, you know, how you con- um, conceptualize life. Yeah, which how do you? Tell me. Well, in my first experience of being pregnant, I really didn't feel attached. Like, it felt like a part of me. And so when I had an abortion, I really felt like I was, like, killing off a part of myself. Mm. Like, metaphorically and literally, right? And but I did value it. I valued the fetus that I carried. How far along were you? I was ten weeks. Yeah, my second abortion was just like an embryo. But and I definitely like I don't view it as having personhood. But I'm also not someone who's gonna call it just a clump of cells. Mm. There was something important to me about my fetus, and it doesn't, you know. And I don't know how to. I don't feel bad about having an abortion but i also value whatever life that was sure yeah we can hold enough space for both of those things certainly yeah yes Mm -hmm. i think like i want to ask you like so you you don't believe abortion is bad i i think everything is contextual right like people who are being forced to have abortions that's horrible yeah (laughs) like any any situation where your agency is taken from you I also think that not everyone, like, I'm not out here telling people to get abortions, Mm -hmm. right? It's really about, like, where you're at, what you need, like, your agency within that situation, your creativity. I'm not – to me, abortion is not wholly good. It is not wholly bad. It is a healthcare process, Mm -hmm. right? So how do do you describe life then? Like, where do you describe life as beginning? I have no idea. Hmm. And it's not important to me, necessarily. Like, life, I value life. I value creatures' lives. I value, you know, like, I'll put a spider in a cup sometimes and take it outside. Sometimes I won't. Sometimes I squash a spider if it's really scary. (laughs) Like, But I think personhood is the real question when it comes to abortion. Okay. Because, you know, there's a lot of life that I've destroyed, speaking in small terms speaking in terms of plants and and small animals, right? Or insects and yeah. I guess I say this because I or I'm thinking about the conservative perspective that calls abortion murder and who would look at you and say what you did is murder and look at me and say what I did is murder. And I wonder hmm. to you how have you learned to say like what yeah, how do you feel about that? Um, I think you're wrong. <laughs> Could you explain to me why? Because I feel like part of that requires a question of life. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, why murder is a legal thing. Murder is like the definition of murder is to like legally murder someone, right? It's like, it's the unlawful killing of another human. So murder is unlawful. 
ab- abortion, it, it is a lawful thing in our constitution. It's a good point. So it, it can't be considered murder. You can call it killing. Wouldn't a biblical person say that murder is also a biblical term and sense of like biblical justice of what God considers to be murder? Like regardless of the structures of the United States legal system? Sure, if they don't want to go by that definition, if they want to go by biblically. Um, but biblically, also, they never talk about abortion. They don't talk about the beginning of life, except usually when they talk about the first breath of life. So that's another thing. <laughs> Jeremiah 1 5. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So Christian people sometimes take these verses mm-hmm. and really say that God planned this life. And so you are ending changing God's will. Yes. I can tell you that that verse is taken out of context incredibly. Later in that chapter, it talks about how the the thing in the womb is an unformed substance and to be an unformed substance it doesn't you know that kind of there's a contradiction there and also the the reason like that prophet is writing in the way that the writing is to be like jeremiah was super important and jeremiah's gonna rise up as a prophet Mm -hmm. or whoever wrote a prophet didn't write it but you know what i mean so like there is a rhetorical value in saying that god formed jeremiah in the womb God is intimately connected to Jeremiah because God is raising Jeremiah to prophethood. If I get an abortion, though, I could be cutting off the next prophet. Right. That's if you take that literally, though, but which most conservatives That's what I'm saying. It's like, this is, this <laughs> yeah. is like, this is the, like, yes. this is part of it. Like, this is the whole thing. Like, when we talk about, like, we want to change the culture, I think we need to have this dialogue. What do they believe? And mm-hmm. how do we conceptualize that into our understanding of truth because i think that part of like closing the divide is having a difficult conversation like this like yeah that verse exists how does a christian hold space for that and still support abortion yeah i mean good biblical scholarship (laughs) right but yeah i mean like I would have to, like, if you gave me a day, I could come back with the exegetical, like, reading of that scripture. But it's just, it's not super important to me because I don't need the Bible to tell me about my experience Mm. of the divine, Mm. right? The divine, I believe, dwells intimately in my experience. And there's, I have revelatory knowledge there. That's a radical view because a lot of fundamentalists would be very upset with you and what you just said. Yes, yes. I'm considered a heretic in many, yeah, <laughs> in many like, places. Yeah, my old self would be like, this woman does not follow the Bible. Wow, Satan dwells within mm-hmm. her. But to use some different different language, like the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is ever present, right? And so like, why would I not be able to, like, unless you thought I was like barred from God, which most people do believe yes, that do. people going through abortions are barred from God. Um, in some capacity, but I don't believe that. I don't think that abortions bar you from God, and I think God is intimately within our experiences. I also take a process relate. I don't know if you've heard of process um, yeah, philosophy no. or process relational philosophy, but it's this it's idea that um, it's panentheism, and it's just like God is God is 
present in our experiences and we are present within God. Like we are all, everything is a part of God, but God is also bigger than that. And so like God knows our experiences because our experiences are God. And it's, you know, it gets complicated from there, but I do not believe that God abandoned me because I had an abortion. Certainly. No. I think that if I was still within a theoretical perspective similar to yours, I would argue, yeah, like, of course not. God doesn't leave any sinner, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's, if anything, you know, you pull one Bible verse and hold so tightly onto that, but forgetting all of the other verses that suggest Jesus spent the most time with sinners. (sighs) Like, just like, wow. And I think the next part of the conversation is like, For me personally, I don't mind if people find abortion to be immoral Mm -hmm. because it's not like whether you agree with it or not, whatever, you're not going to agree with everything I do about my own life and that's okay. But like, how are you treating me is really the most important thing. And are you at least willing to listen compassionately? Are you willing to have compassion for me? I get if you want to lower abortion rates. There are many people who do. There are many people in the pro-choice world who want to lower abortion mm-hmm. rates. Criminalizing abortion is not the way to no. do it. No. So, you know, like, I'm fine if people are are going to believe abortion is murder as long as they realize that the way to combat that is to provide housing and to you know, racial justice, climate justice. You need to create a world where people can, who want to have children can have children safely and, you know, within economic means and have good sex education and birth control and all of it, you know? (laughs) Right. I have problems with them calling it murder. That's fair. Because it is a judgment on us. Not, not, uh, oh, well, Screw the judgment on us. It's philosophically Mm -hmm. unsound arguments. Like, that's my problem. I'm not, call me a murderer, call me a sinner. I don't care what you call me. Your argument isn't valid. And I can't stand that. I would like space to talk about this, please. Like, I'm just like, I'm ready, I'm ready. Okay, so... And I think this only comes from the fact that when I was super fundamentalist, I was trying so hard in my philosophy class. I took an ethics class and we talked about abortion. And the the person I was dating was super fundamentalist at the time. And we talked through all of it because as he would tell me these views, I was like, wait, but I'm learning these arguments aren't sound. And we would try and talk about it. And it's really created this deep like passion in me to talk about these things because conservatives say typically that from this verse right that like god knew that you were going to be knit in this womb and so life begins at conception if life begins at conception in vitro fertilization how many eggs have you fertilized as a human breaking down god's natural process of people getting pregnant on their own time And when you do in vitro fertilization, you fertilize multiple eggs, you put multiple eggs into the body, hoping that one of them sticks. And if multiple eggs stick, fertilized eggs, you abort some of them. Otherwise, you end up having multiple children. And conservatives see no problem with that. (laughs) And I'm just like, 
what? Like, if you <laughs> you don't see protesters outside no. in vitro exactly. Like, place. like here's my thing: if you want to call it murder, hold your views consistently across every single view. Because if you believe that life is value and begins at conception, then fucking live that walk. And I will give you respect for living that. But you don't. You don't. And when you say it's okay to get, I know so many conservative families that have done that. And no one really thinks about the ethical, moral things behind that. Also, also, heartbeat bill, it's not a heart at six weeks. It is not. In science, we literally build heart cells in a dish that have a quote-unquote heartbeat and will pulsate. And they're just heart cells in a dish. That's literally all it is with no propensity towards life. So if we want to define life and its beginnings at even a heartbeat, you know, a little later than conception. All right. Well, we need to start standing up for the rights of those cells in that dish. And then if you say, oh, it's because it has the propensity towards life, like those cells at that heart in that uterus has the propensity to become a human. Okay, let's hold some space for that view. If the argument is that something that has the propensity towards life naturally should be given the space to do that, okay, well then don't let go of those amino fertilization eggs. And also, sperm, when it meets an egg, naturally is going to build life. So I dare you to stop masturbating. I dare you to stop wasting your sperm, which naturally has the propensity towards life, on just you masturbating into your hand. You know what I mean? Like, that's a waste. That naturally has a propensity to give life, and that's what God made it for. So what are you doing masturbating and wasting God's precious sperm? And if I saw people living all of these values of not masturbating because of that, trying to get pregnant at every single menstrual cycle so that you don't waste eggs that have the propensity towards life and not supporting in vitro fertilization and all these things, like, fine, call me a murderer. I get it. I get it. Like, yeah, that's murder in your view. But, like, people don't hold their views with sound logic. Mm-hmm. And I cannot take it. Yeah. Well, it's never been about I know, logic, they're just you know? like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and I think we've talked a little bit about uh, the racial implications, but, like, this is, like, where misogyny comes in. Yes. Like, there's a reason they like to harass women and people going into reproductive care facilities and they don't stand outside in vitro fertilization because it's not within a body <laughs> that they can control. Yeah, exactly. But the your philosophical ground point of life is the fucking same. Like, I don't curse on this podcast to keep professionalism, but, like, <laughs> holy shit. How can you hold those views at the same time? I have no idea. I think half of the thing is that people don't ask themselves this question. Of like, oh, if I hold this view because my parents told me that this is wrong, what does this mean about all the other views I hold? And like people just don't ask. Because it's it's harder mm-hmm. to sit in the gray. It's harder to sit in the like, well, maybe this is more complicated than what they said. Because then you have to hold an um, amalgamation of different ideas and new spaces that are different than what you thought before. And like, it's so much easier to stay in this narrative of like, no, it's murder. It's murder. Like, I just know. Yeah. 
there's a lot of justification too. Like they'll talk their way around it. They'll tell you something, right? Like they, I know abortion care professionals who have given abortions to conservative people who will sit there getting their abortion saying you're a murderer to the doctor. Like it's just, there's no, it's just, they're they're unattached from reality in some cases. Like, yes, it's terrifying to me. It's scary that logic has just disappeared or maybe never existed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's terrifying to me because how do you speak to someone who doesn't see that? You can't. Like, you can't have a meaningful conversation until they learn to see how that's inherently not a sound argument. And I think a lot of it is because, like, there's a lot of moral pride built up in those yes. types of spaces. Yes. It's like they really believe they know what's best and it's from God. And how can you refute that if it's from God? So they've never tried and they can't question it or else they're isolated from their community. It, it, it's a lot of similar to cult indoctrination in some aspects a hundred percent yeah unless they leave their communities it's really hard to um really get someone to hear you and seek understanding through an empathetic manner which is why i say what can we do and that's why i tell myself like if i make this podcast and i share it with all my conservative family like, what else can I do? Like, I can't I can't change this larger structure other than the people around me. Yeah. Because they don't see it. And I get it because I was that person and you talked about being a zealot too. So I'm sure you understand that of like, I was so blind to any argument that was different than what mainstream Christianity was telling me. Yeah. And that's, I think, what each equally makes it probably both of us resonating now of understanding how scary it is because we held it with such strict beliefs that, like, we know how strict other people kind of hold it. And mm-hmm. that's terrifying. Yeah. There's no theological humility is what we call mm-hmm. it. <laughs> the idea that maybe your theologies aren't, you know, 100%. Right. Which no one's are. You can't. You can't one hundred percent understand God if you believe in God. It's just it's not possible. And the fact that there are people out there who believe that they have it down to the T, yeah, is um, it, it really is about power and control. I agree. They just don't see that. Yeah, and I don't know if I, it's not necessarily my goal to get conservatives to see that. Mm. My goal is to really help post-abortive people Mm. feel loved and recognized for their stories and their uniqueness and i care about like advocacy for accessing abortions um and making those avenues wider in the small ways i can and if a conservative hears my story and finds empathy within their heart and you know it pushes them a little more towards understanding post-abortive people and abortion experiences and you know that's wonderful right um but i'm not gonna spend my time trying to change someone else's mind Mm. (laughs) 
Um, Because I don't think I have the power to do that necessarily, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I wish. (laughs) I hear you say that, and I'm, like, telling myself that I need to take your wisdom right now and and recognize that as well. Yeah, but, like, it's it's also people close to us. So I understand, like, wanting them so deeply to understand us. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, I think at some points we kind of have to let that go. That doesn't mean we, like, give up on them. Like, I still – I have so much hope for people and their transformations. I just realize I'm not going to be – the person transforming them Mm. (laughs) i haven't come to that space yet and i don't know if i will yeah i mean everyone has their own thing you know when i think about it a little bit deeper i have this sincere hope for the transformational change of people's perspectives because of how much i changed my own and so i hold Mm. knowing that there is enough truth there that if someone looked a little bit deeper at some of these things, they could find a completely different life and a completely different ideological structure and joy in it and so much freedom. And so like I know that deeply in my soul, but like equally I think it's important to like take to heart what you're saying too. Like this concept that like you can put all the tools out there for someone to change their life and it's still their job to build the house. Mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's just like I can't, I, can't, I can't I can't but I want to it's a huge it's a huge dilemma it sucks like yeah mm-hmm. I struggle with it as well but I'm kind of moving towards the realm of like I believe in people's transformations and I believe that I also probably don't have that large of an impact oh, on all of them I think you do I mean in the sense I think it's like a both and thing or like a contradictory thing. It's like, yes, we have so much power to help people in their journeys and to transform, but also, yeah, they have so much agency. Oh, sure. And that like, you know, like as you said, like we could hold someone at gunpoint and make them read all this stuff and understand all this logic and like it's not really going to do it, you know? Like it has to come from within them. Exactly. And I think though what brings that change, those living – in close proximity to or having close proximity to people who live viewpoints that you don't understand or you don't agree with because the more you spend close proximity to that person you start to ask yourself deeper questions so like I would imagine I don't know your family that you have a huge impact on the fact that you post and like have your bio saying post abortive person even if it's just a second thought about something That then leads into a second thought of something they see somewhere. Like, you could be the beginning of a beautiful domino of change that you don't see the end of. Totally. And I think that is, like, when we live our truths more fully, I think we're allowing other people to do the same. Yeah. And I totally believe in that. I just am not that worried about changing conservatives' minds. Mm. But I will continue to live my truth, and I will continue to hope others like make more space for that as well you know yeah i I think what i'm saying is like you're doing that by living your life like you could never preach you know to another person about this topic and just by being the person that you are that lives in your lived experience with a lack of shame that's gonna change the world and i I, no i'm (laughs) i'm dead serious no thank you (laughs) like you right (laughs) yes 
Yes, I agree too. I think it's so powerful when we get to live as ourselves and like, like you sharing your story and like, like we both were completely transformed by our experiences. And I think like part of that too is like, we are like people are transformed in their experience and in their connection to other people. Yes. And I think that is really powerful, you know, like maybe like if you're one of your family members do hear this, like maybe they'll want to have a conversation with you about it and maybe, you know, like who knows? Exactly. Yeah. That's how you do the work. It's not easy. (laughs) It's like, okay. No. And no one has all the answers and we don't need to have all the answers. But I feel like one thing I want to say too is that I, before I got an abortion, there was this really big narrative that so many people get abortions and then they regret it later. And it's this very big traumatic thing. And like, you know, conservatives would shout these numbers of like depressive people after they get their abortion. And that never happened to me. I've never felt depression about what decision I've made. I've never felt regret. If anything, I'm very happy, very happy I made this decision. Uh, and that's just not a narrative that's talked about. Wasn't that bad? Very happy. It just wasn't anything that they said it would be. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's so important. Like, people who have that narrative, I don't knock them. I, like, totally. It's okay to regret your abortion. If that's your experience, that's your experience. And you need to live that, right? But that is the only experience that usually gets voiced and honored because it fits an agenda that they can use. Exactly. Right. And so like you speaking up and being like, I don't regret it at all. It was really awesome. And I'm happy. Like that's, that's a story people need to hear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. It's so, so important. And I never regretted mine either. I had so much shame surrounding it. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, but I never regretted it. I definitely was suicidal. I was suicidal before I got pregnant. But um, afterwards, totally. But I will also say that they like to use that that number kind of like they use it against um, trans folks, actually. They say, yeah, well, they say, you know, the suicide rates are so much higher for trans people. And they think it's because of the person being trans and not because of all of the religious shame put onto people and societal shame, right? I believe the same thing with the abortion statistics. It's not the abortion that's making people want to kill themselves. It's how people are treating post-abortive people. Yeah. Yes. I was not suicidal because I regretted my abortion or because of my abortion experience. I was suicidal because people were calling me a murderer and it did not fit my experience and I had no idea how to make meaning of it. Yes, and especially when that meaning of what you're trying to combat of your internal understanding versus the other understanding that they're coming from, that's connected to a God perspective. So this isn't even a fair like, oh, I'm just talking to another human about our two different perspectives. It gets into this weird space where it's like, oh, it's my experience versus God of the whole universe. And everyone says this is what God believes. And that's an unfair decision ground. Like, holy sh, that's yes. so complicated. Mm-hmm. Not to mention all the silencing and isolation yeah, on top of that. Exactly. And, like not being able to have community to figure that out. Oh. So, 
whenever that statistic is brought up, I like to like point to that within my own experience. It's like, it's not causation, but there is definitely correlation. Yeah. Yeah. If people could actually learn that, that would actually be a very big lesson that we can't prove causation from any of our research. You know what I mean? Everything that we do is highly likelihood that there's this correlation, but you can never prove causation. So just take a little bit of a questionable perspective when you hear statistics like that or people who try to make claims like that. Yeah. I also want to say that I don't even know if that statistic is true. That's good. That's also a good um, point. I think some people have brought up some issues with that statistic. So yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if that these statistics come from like a very Christian philosophical university that has put out specific research with specific ideological pinnings behind them yeah there's some bias there (laughs) maybe so like yeah i think all of those things should be taken with a grain of salt Mm -hmm. if you've had an abortion and you haven't told other people that's okay you can know your own truth as well you do not have to be a martyr to explain this cause to everybody it's just as valid and I'm sorry that people yeah. don't see your truth. And I'm sorry that people don't understand. And there is an inherent reality that they will never understand because they didn't walk in your same shoes. But equally at the same time, you're not alone. There's a lot of people who have walked this journey. One in four women, and that's a proven statistic from 2014, have had an abortion. And you are not alone. Yeah. You are definitely not alone. If you are religious, God understands you and God is with you. And, you know, it's going to take time to figure out. Mm -hmm. But again, you're not alone. You are so loved and you are so worthy. And we love you and we're here with you. (laughs) And we know how hard it can be. We love you so much. (laughs) And it's going to take a lot of strength, but we're on your side. Yeah, my DMs are always open for post-abortive people. You are my automatic friend. (laughs) Yeah, we share a lived experience. Yes. Is it time to, like, plug some resources? Yeah, do you have some? (laughs) Yeah, I have some. Plug them all. Um, Okay, Mm shoutyourabortion.com. It's a great resource. Um, You can post anonymously, and it's so healing to just be able to send off your story sometimes into the void if you feel like – There's nowhere else where people are seeing you and hearing you and understanding you. It's a great outlet. Mm -hmm. Thank God for abortion. I'm wearing their shirt right now. Just a beautiful movement. The idea that, you know, you can be religious and you can have abortions and it's totally valid. There is Faith Allowed, which is a hotline resource for people who are needing some extra therapy. Um, Exhale is a secular one. Faith Allowed is clergy members um but who do not have an agenda Mm. and are there to offer you compassionate care beautiful thank you i'll include all of those in the show notes as well so there'll be links if someone is listening just below if you hit more they're there hyperlink click on them one of the things i ask everyone who comes on the show is what is one thing that you wish other people understood was more normal For everyone who 
is trying to access abortion or who has had abortions, it is normal to feel the way you are feeling, no matter what that is. It is normal. And there's so much, you know, judgment about whatever you're experiencing, but what you're experiencing is completely normal. Mm -hmm. And please have compassion for yourself. Yes. You are full of so many different actions that you will take in this life, and one action will never define who you are, regardless of what that action is, whichever way you take. Yes. And the meaning you make from your experience is the most powerful thing that you can do for yourself and for the world. Your meaning making is so important. Yeah. I want to give him a hug. It's just like, you, you (laughs) you know how hard it is, you know? Yeah, I'm speaking to my past exactly, self as well. Exactly, <laughs> my inner child. It's just like, oh, I see your pain. I see it. It's so real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are there, and people will support you. You just got to find those people, and they're out there, and we're one of them. And I promise you, there's more. Yes. Thanks so much for yeah, having me. Yeah, thank you. Like this has been really wonderful. It has. I think we made something that's very powerful. I genuinely believe. Yeah. It was just so wonderful to have and share this space with you. It was just like such a beautiful surprise. Definitely. I know. I was like, do I tell her before? I was like, no, 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 I wait. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm glad. I'm glad we could make this together and like, yeah, co-create something beautiful. Where can people find you at? Plug your own social media as well. Oh, yes. I'm at Calling in Christians on TikTok and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Nicole. So nice to meet you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Yuri Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.